0: Hey Pels fans, today's episode of The Bird Calls is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sports drink but without the vowels. That's S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let the funk out. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Sports Drink Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today.
1: Welcome to a Trade Line edition. Deadline edition, excuse me, of The Bird Calls. I'm David Grubb, your host, and joining me, as always, our round of Kevin Berrios, David Fisher, and editor-in-chief of theBirdRights.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. Gentlemen, the Pelicans have pulled off, I would say, the deal since the AD deal, because I think the Drew Holiday deal was not, you know, I think that was a forced hand deal. Um, This is an in-season major blockbuster move. Um, Let's start with the guys who are leaving, uh, and we can address them. Uh, Last night was a very emotional night at the Smoothie King Center. Uh, A good win over the Rockets, of course. But to have Nikhil Alexander-Walker, to have Josh Hart, uh, both sitting courtside, essentially, um, behind their teammates, supporting their team. Uh, staying through the entire game and then coming onto the court and being embraced. Um, We'll start with that moment and uh, Kevin, I'm going to let you go first and just tell me what you saw in that and, and your impressions of both the guys who are going in that particular moment and and this team now.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was an incredible moment. I can't think of a time where something like that has happened. I was lucky enough to be at the game last night to see it in person. So that was a, a nice experience, a nice way to send those guys off because those are two guys that obviously I've been fond of over the, their their span here. Even though like I started to sour on uh, Nikhil uh, this season, but I was a guy that I really, I, you know, in in the draft room, I was sitting next to you when we drafted him. Mm-hmm. And picks uh, earlier, I tweeted out, "Man, I hope he falls to us." So I always had like a lot invested in emotionally in Nikhil because he was like the first time they chose the guy that I wanted them. To choose, um, and I I saw a lot of potential in him, and he didn't really live up to that potential. But you see, uh, these guys that really cared for each other, that uh, really cared for their teammates, um, and you know, there's a lot of always the narrative of nobody wants to play here, nobody wants here. We're viewed as a farm team from the outside, and all of that stuff. To see guys come in after they got traded, when a lot of guys would think they got wronged by a franchise. Um, For for being traded, they came in and supported their teammates, wanted to say goodbye to their teammates and to the fans, uh, and immediately posted farewell messages to the fans. Um, You know, I I think it's nice that we feel appreciated from those guys and they feel appreciated from us. Uh, So that was a really nice moment. Um, As far as their tenure, you know, Hart had really come on and uh, it's going to hurt to lose him. Uh, he d- he does a lot of things that we don't now have in the backcourt. You know, he provided a lot of rebound, extra rebounding. He pushed the ball. Uh, he tacked the rim and transitioned from the guard position and uh, he defended and and played really hard. So that's going to be missed sorely. Uh, Nikhil, he has, you know, a lot of tricks in his bag. He can be a great player in this league. I felt like he probably needed a, um, a change of scenery to get to that next level. I've often compared him to like uh Lakers or Cavs era Jordan Clarkson and uh you know was hoping that he would get to Utah um uh, Jordan Clarkson and now he's in Utah so um maybe that'll work out for him. Um, you know, but I just felt like for most of his career, you know, we all have that friend that has a lot of, you know, talent, is a great person, super friendly. Uh everybody loves them they're highly intelligent all of this stuff Uh, but they're always sort of broken down because they keep finding themselves in toxic relationships that like beat them down emotionally and uh maybe like self-esteem wise and I felt like that's how Nikhil was where he was that friend but he was also the toxic relationship that caused that you know like he he just couldn't get out of his own way and hopefully he learns to do that and becomes a good player. Cause you know, I wish him all the best. And I obviously wish Josh the best as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Portland finishes out this rebuild around Damian Lillard, but I think he's a good backcourt partner for him because of the things that he does. Fish,
1: your thoughts.
3: Oh man. Um, you know, I've, I've been a, a huge Nikhil fan. Um, it's funny when we the governor doing...
4: let, let let's get it right <laughs> the governor of the island
3: <laughs> i mean it, it it's funny like you think back like i remember doing like the mock draft that we did um with sb nation in 2019 and everything that we did other than drafting zyle williamson was us trying to move into a slot where we could draft Nikhil Alexander Walker, like Ali and I are sending I DMs that, yeah. back, back and forth and should we train with Orlando or this team or that team? Um, and I mean, it didn't work out. Um, like, like we had hoped, especially coming into this year. I mean, the, the, the hopes were extremely high. Like we could just say that. And, um, the shot selection didn't necessarily match, um, our hopes. Um, I do think that, I mean, he, he, he definitely has a future in the league just because he's willing to put his nose down and grind. And I do think he's landed in a better position in Utah for his basketball career. Um, than, you know, whatever is happening in Portland, which no one has seemed to figure out yet. Um, because I think in, in Utah, he might get enough of the structure that he needs that can clean up his um, his worst traits. Um, and then Josh Hart. I mean, I've been a massive Josh Hart fan since he was coming into the league. Like I remember, uh, I, I, I want to say he was picked 30th and then mm-hmm. the Pelicans traded up to pick Frank Jackson 31st. Mm-hmm. That exactly. was that draft, right? Yep. Um, yeah. And the whole time that Josh Hart was falling, I remember saying, man, can the Pelicans trade up? Is mm-hmm. he going to fall into the second round? I think I wrote a piece that said, this is the guy the Pelicans should target in the second round.
2: Like, he definitely did in a round table because that, <laughs> that's when he first kind of got on my radar and I paid attention to him. And I also was in on him after that.
3: Yeah. And so I mean, I've been in on Hart and he he delivered exactly what was expected the first two years. And then this this last season, he he blossomed um into a much a much more complete basketball player. Um, and I really, really wish that the Pelicans could have found a way to keep him. Um, I, I don't know how else to say it. I think he—he's um, fish. you His personality is going to be missed. Um, what he brings on the court, the toughness, the ruggedness, the the fact that he creates—I mean, he creates fast breaks single-handedly—and the Pelicans don't aren't going to have that, you know in the foreseeable future at this point. Um, and Josh Hart was doing that in easy and easy points for, for this roster um, as it's, as it was, as it was constructed was, were hard to come by. And he, he found a way to do that and do that consistently. Um, and they just, he's just a great dude. Like, I I don't know how, how else to, how to describe, like, I love Josh Hart, man. I'm going to root for Josh Hart in Portland if if portland decides that this was all just a big cost-cutting move and his contract's unguaranteed and they cut him this summer i'm going to be like stomping and standing on the tables give him the full MLE, find some way to like work some kind of sign and trade something so that you can bring josh hart back and and my my hope and dream immediately when i heard that he was in the trade was well, you know, if if the Portland Trailblazers if they waive them this summer, the Pelicans can find a way to bring him back, and that's that that's going to be my dream until you know it doesn't happen. So uh, I'm going to miss both of those guys. And uh, yeah, the Thomas Sadaransky was um was salary fodder. There we go. And DD too. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah the, like it's hard. <laughs> we ain't got no memories of DD. We ain't got no memories of Thomas Sadaransky other than bad ones. You know what I mean? So. That's why we're not going to spend much time on them. But, Ollie, I remember, you know, you and I were at the Welcome Press Conference when
4: the Lakers guys. And Man, Derek you read Davis. my mind. I was going to go here, too. Nice. <laughs> go and ahead. the comment that stood out
1: from that day was Josh Hart's comment relayed by David Griffin that Josh said then, don't trade me. You know, don't move me on. I want to stay. I want to be here. He was the only one of the three of the up there who had made that clear at that point. And I think when they when they arrived, um, we all felt that Josh was the guy who had the, the highest floor. That you knew what you were gonna get from Josh. It wasn't gonna be great every night, but it it wasn't it was really gonna be bad. And um, you know, you looked at either B.I. or Alonzo as being the guy who would become an all-star and one of them would, the other one would become more of a supporting player. And Josh, we always thought would be a good sixth man, seventh man. And the first two years, that's what he was, like Fish said. And then this year, you know, and, and, we, and I know I was leading the group of people who said that he was replaceable, that his value had peaked and it was time to move on. And then this dude came back this year, and he plays the best basketball of his life. He did the things that he was good at before, but did them better and more efficiently. He stopped taking the bad threes. He realized that wasn't his shot. He became better as a ball handler. You got fewer careless Josh Hart full-speed turnovers. He would finish. You know, he, he would look to finish every time and there wouldn't be those layups that rolled the rim that happened the, the two previous years. You go like, come on, there weren't, there, you know, he wasn't perfect, but I think the season changed for me this year when Josh said he had enough, when he said it doesn't matter who's here, who's not here, we got to start winning some games. He said that changed
3: it, it. That changed everything, man.
1: He said it first. It wasn't bi because that's what we were still saying. When's bi going to show up? Show up. You know, this is during the one and twelve, and we're like, when is bi going to really show up? Show up. Josh was the first one, and I think that changed everything. And that's what I'm going to remember about his tenure. Um, for Nikhil, you know, it's the same thing. Like, yeah, I'm with you guys. A talented player. Um, My connection before the draft that year was I interviewed Randolph Childress, who was an assistant coach at Wake Forest. And we talked extensively about all the guys from the ACC that that were targets um, for the Pelicans that year. And he just went on about Nikhil. He said, you know, he just went on about his offensive abilities and his willingness to work. I think we saw those things, but unfortunately, he couldn't put it together. And it feels like it was a combination of the role that he was asked to fill. Um, and just again, his overall, I think, unwillingness or inability to kind of see the game slow down for him. It didn't slow down over the three, uh, two plus seasons that he was here. Um, but I think he will get better. Um, uh, but I see him ultimately, yeah, like a Jordan Clarkson type, Kevin. And I, and yeah, I, I think I put that in the like in the chat. And Kevin's like, he always thought of him as Jordan Clarkson, and I just really just of it today. So yeah, that's what I see for him going forward and if he becomes a sixth man of the year, it's not a bad career. You know what I'm saying? He's got a good future. So, um more power to both those guys. They represented the team well. They represented the franchise well. Um they represented the city well. Uh and good luck to them.
4: Ali. Yeah, they're both examples of the culture to me that's growing here in New Orleans. Josh, you guys already touched on the major parts He's one of the biggest building blocks of what we saw transpire this year, where this team could have really gone off a cliff with that start. And you're right. I'm glad you brought that up. He, he not only once, but I want to say like on three different occasions, showed the extreme frustration post postgame. Um, I won't forget the time when he talked to, particularly about the youth, right? People were trying to mm-hmm. talk about, you know, fresh faces coming together along with guys growing up. And he, he basically cut off whoever asked that question says, I don't care about the youth. Right. And he says, bottom line, we've got to be better. We've got to start not only executing, but paying attention to detail. And that's always going to stick out in my mind. Um, And everything that he did on the court showed that he just wanted to win. I don't think enough credit is given to players that play as hard as Josh. When there's a loose ball, put money on Josh getting it right. Making a play, doing something and playing to the top of his ability. I mean, there's so few players that you can say confidently, that are better than Josh in that category. And so, yeah, he's going to be extremely missed for a team that is trying to establish a culture. Cause I mean, to me, he's like, he could have been this, this franchise's Udonis Haslam in a sense, right? He's a guy that's going to be, would have been there from the start. He had a big say in, in building that locker room to what it hopefully becomes kind of like Miami's did. And he's just a guy that, you know, you can count on every single day. Right. But unfortunately they moved on from him and, um, yeah, for the longest, I think there, I wasn't alone, but I didn't even want to trade him, even if it meant you were getting C.J. McCollum back or De'Aaron Fox. But, man, after watching the Pelicans, they couldn't make a three-point shot for all of January. And then this month as well, you just knew that they needed to find a lead guard because that combined with Devontae Graham just, you know, disappointing a little bit more than you thought possible. They just had to make the move. But, yeah, Josh, I'm with you, Fish. I'm going to watch this guy as many times as I can. I don't care what uniform he's wearing. I'm going to be rooting for him like a motherfucker. I love this guy. Always going to love him. But mm-hmm. as for Nikhil, I don't, I'm not going to go into too much more. You guys have pretty much said it. I'm going to be rooting for him, though. And the reason I said at the start that both of them represent the culture, well, Nikhil didn't enjoy anywhere near the success of Josh, especially this season. But you, you know what? He was always there, one of the guys, doing what was asked of him, which was putting in 100,000% uh, effort. And doing his best, right, trying to listen to what the coach said. I mean, who will forget the time he uh, said in postgame, like, in my head, I said, don't shoot the heat check, don't shoot the heat check. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's been told and coached up really well and knows what his role should be and how he should be viewing decisions and, you know, making those, executing them. But he never could get over that hump. But like I said, he poured his heart and his soul into uh, wanting to contribute to winning as well. So I, I I just loved seeing last night. I don't think anybody expected it, guys. We we had heard rumors. I've that never seen either. that. Really I've never. Expected. It. I, no, but what I'm saying is that I had heard rumors before pregame. We were told I was sitting with Andrew and a couple guys that hey, Josh and Nikhil, they're going to come in the game. They wanted to come to the game, but they're expecting him to. And no nobody believed that, but <laughs> they were. They showed up, man. So yeah, you it was just a special. You never night.
3: see that. Like I don't think I don't think anybody is. Like overstating the fact, I cannot think of the last time any player was traded in season. Never, he wasn't already in the building in uniform when, like, he finds out about it. Right. That he decides that I'm going to come show up to the arena, even though I'm not on this team anymore, and I'm going to yeah, sit and I'm not, gonna watch this game. It's not like they
4: were told an hour before game time. They were told in that morning shoot around, right? That they yeah, were traded. Like, th- like they showed they, up like, later that night.
3: I mean, they knew and like he 10 showed hours up- prior.
1: He shows up in a BI jersey, yes. Like that is like it's not that they just showed up. They made sure that they went out, being like representing and being like, "Yo, this is this is I'm, I'm a Pelican." Nobody's done that.
4: No, nope. Who's who's even shed kind of a tear getting traded from this team? I can't remember anybody. No,
1: because most people left on bad terms. And I think this is, like you said, it's just even guys field. that
4: started their careers here, like Darren Collison or something. There was nobody that you became no. so attached to, and then you kind of felt it reciprocated as soon as they were moved or left. Right? And well, H, like, it never happened.
2: Never. I feel like Drew a little bit. I mean, obviously he asked for a trade, but it was a unique situation. But even after he left, he said a lot of nice things, and he did a lot of nice things when he was here. And I think everybody here wished him luck. But but it's still not to the level of. I think what that goes to him
4: being a nice person more than having a love for, right, his whole locker room, the team, yeah. the city, right? Yeah, I don't
1: think, you yeah. know, everybody, I think, yeah, respected Drew. I think everybody respected yeah. Drew, but I don't know if you could, you know, if you could, if a lot of those guys could know Drew. You know, Drew's kind yeah, of that
2: well, kind of guy. Saying, like, His whole locker room was turned over on him, so, yeah. like, he yeah. all new players in there, but so it is different. But, I I mean, I just feel like of all the all the guys that we've traded out of here, he's the only guy that seemed like he still had an affinity for the city. You know what I mean? And the people. Yeah, there. he
4: and his family I've heard love this city for sure. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Well, every time I've talked to Chris Paul, he goes on and on about how much he loves New Orleans. And he just he, he said it hurts him. Like he's like it hurts me when they boo because he's like I didn't want to leave New Orleans. I wanted to leave the
3: situation. He wanted to leave the organization. Like let's yeah. be clear. Yes. It he was wanted a to leave the organization. Situation. And that that's the thing that I mean we cannot minimize here is the fact that what Josh Hart and Nikhil, like they did not like the fact that they were not leaving this organization. And that Mm -hmm. speaks. And even David Griffin to, to his great credit um, during the second quarter on his media availability, he reiterated numerous times that the, the success of the culture and everything that's been built is because of Willie because yes. you could because Willie Green yeah. has made it happen um Griff had Griff had like the vision of what it's supposed to be but until he lucked into getting the right coach yeah, he felt because back he got turned down yeah. <laughs> because, got, because he got turned down by other guys that he wanted ahead of Willie and then Willie ends up being the perfect match um but to, to, to Griff's great credit, because I know we always try to say how he tries to take credit for everything, and he, he always tries to shift blame for other stuff. To his great credit, he made a point numerous times during the broadcast to mention the fact that this the culture is, is the product of Willie. And when you get, get an organization where guys want to be here and they want to stay here, it's because of the coaching staff and, and that stuff. It's not the sales staff. It's not the GM. It's not the vice president of basketball operations. It's the coach and it's the coaching staff. And that is Willie Green. Funnily yeah. enough,
2: today, like I saw, uh, I had a Facebook memory that was that was me celebrating the fact that they had finally benched Marco Bellinelli for Willie Green to start the game. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, well, I don't even call him Bellinelli. I always called him Olive Garden because he's Italian and terrible.
4: But, I will never uh, forget that, Kevin. Yeah. Ever since get, uh, you wrote that, I think in an article <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was a nice little memory for me today.
1: All right. So let's switch gears. And talk about. We're supposed to which, spend
4: like five minutes on those guys. We spent like twenty. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, hey, right. I think it was. A no, good no, that's.
4: That. It's going to my point that yeah, that, those guys meant a lot, man. We're gonna miss them.
1: So let's talk about. Uh, who is coming in and Pelicans bring in, of course, the, the centerpiece of this is CJ McCollum along with Tony Snell, um, who will be appearing tomorrow in the game against the heat with CJ. Um, and then of course, uh, Larry Nance jr. Who was about to go undergo knee surgery and will be out for roughly four to six weeks, depending on how he heals. Um, fish I'll let you go first on this trade, uh because part of this is bigger than this. It, there's you know the nance part is is part that that was really impressive for us but I think complete deal for griff it feels like we we asked him to hit a single it's I, it's nothing's a home run you don't know for sure but right now this is at least a solid double
3: absolutely um just on a value perspective cuz what he's I mean, what he's managed to do in terms of the assets going out—it's pretty much just Hart and Nikhil, and then he found a way to chop a first-round pick into three different pieces and trade two of those pieces to other people mm-hmm. and keep all of the lottery balls. Um, so, at the 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 pick. Protection details actually came out earlier this morning.
0: We'll go into um, that
1: after we talk about the players first. Yeah, but let's think.
3: But, yeah, yeah. So and then Thomas anoratsky's you know expiring contract. Um, all of that salary going out is just to match. Fish. TJ. fish We're talking about the player
1: impact. We're not doing the contracts yet. Remember, we're going to oh, do the contracts. I'm sorry, and I'm jumping ahead last. myself. Yeah, so, jumping ahead.
3: Oh, so um, so we got. Let's start from. Bottom. Um, so Larry Nance, he had some knee issues. Um apparently he was just rehabbing and they were expecting him to be back and he was getting reevaluated over and over again. And then the Pelicans have their physical with him, and now he's having surgery on Friday. Um, so I was telling the guys it's it's like that um that cartoon from Goofy, like you living like this where uh, um where he's you know trying to play off his bad knee and Aaron Nelson takes a look at it or you know their doctors et cetera, and say hey man you just need to clean up let's 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 stop with all this clean up your knee he's going to be out four to six weeks so it sounds like it's a relatively minor surgery one of those weeks is the all-star week so that that kind of works out a little bit in the Pelicans favor um Larry Nance I think he is going to be a fantastic fit um for the roster as it's constructed. Now he can be the big man that plays alongside, um, Jackson Hayes. And he's going to, he's not going to be as offensively efficient and gifted as say, um, Willie Hernan Gomez has been when he comes off the bench, but he is going to be a like 500% increase in terms of quality of defense. I think that you can slot him – you can call Jackson Hayes the five and you can call him the four, and that will probably be the roles that they play on offense. But on defense, um, Larry Nance is going to be able to defend the five. I know he's only listed at six foot seven. People think that that's too too short. He's got a seven foot one plus wingspan. He actually measured at six foot nine in the combine, but something with the new measuring and everything, and now suddenly they're listing him at six foot seven. I, I have no idea. The man hasn't shrunk two inches yet um but he's he's going to be a, a great rotation piece he's on a very unique contract in that it decreases next year um usually guys get raises his actually decreases over year over year uh tony snell um he was hitting like 50% of his threes last season he has fallen off dramatically um from that from his work in atlanta um he's a minimum wing um i i don't think that Willie Green's gonna play him over Garrett Temple. That that's that's just my gut feeling is that Garrett Temple's gonna have more of the the organizational trust than uh, Tony Snell. But to, Snell's inclusion is because um Portland is already taking back four players and they need to send back at least three, so they don't have to waive more guys. And then CJ McCollum, mm-hmm. um, an artist in the mid-range, the Pelicans and one of the things that if if you weren't in the arena and so you got to listen to David Griffin during the second quarter, he repeatedly mentioned the stretch where um, Damian Lillard was, has been out and C.J. McCollum essentially was playing point guard um, and that he has excelled in that role. I think the Pelicans are trading C.J. McCollum with the idea that he's going to be their point guard. But if you think about how the Pelicans run their offense, they don't have like a you are the point guard. You always bring it up. They have, they'll have any of four guys bring the ball up and initiate the offense dependent. So um, it's not a situation where you're the point guard. You have to initiate every set that that's not how the Willie green offense works. Um, But he's, he's nominally going to be the point guard. He's usually going to be the smallest guy on the floor. Um, He's a dangerous pull-up shooter from 30 feet. 35 feet. Um, that's, that's going to create problems for teams because they're not going to be able to play the same kind of pick and roll coverages that they've been playing. And that's going to create mismatches for Jonas Valanciunas. Um, he's going to be able to pull up in the mid range. Um, you're, you you can not play the aggressive drop coverage that most teams have been playing. Um, like on Devontae Graham, with the expectation that he's either unwilling or unable to pull up hit floaters. You're gonna see a lot more of that in New Orleans. Um he do- he doesn't come with necessarily the best um defensive reputation. I think a lot of that has to do with the organization he's been in, the fact that he's always been in a tiny backcourt and he's never had a big, a big guy beside him in the backcourt. And so you have, you know, point guard is the most difficult position in the league and you have him and Damian Lillard, neither of which have much, you know, defensive reputation up top. And one of them has to guard the guy on the other team. Well, you know, he's probably going to play in a situation Ish. now. I Ish. know I'm getting too deep. Yes.
1: <laughs> you're getting too deep. We got two other guys. <laughs> <to comment.
3: laughs> but no, so. I'm really excited about what CJ is going to bring. Um, and, I've been trading for Larry Nance now for like two years. I'm so happy. All
4: right. Ollie. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe it when Nance's name got included. I was like, my first thought was Fish, man. He's been pounding that drum forever. <laughs> so it was good to see. But anyways, CJ. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Fish. I'm with anybody else that thinks he's going to push Devontae to the bench, be the starting one. And here's one reason why I like it. He's used to pounding the ball into the ground a little bit and because that's the way Portland played. Think about who those two stars up there, Damian Lillard and McCollum have had to play next to for so many years, right? I mean, when you got Mo Harkless and Aminu or take your pick, right? Or washed up Carmelo, there's a reason why I think their offense kind of became very not isocentric because they play a lot of pick and rolls, but you know, these guys primarily were doing all the dribbling. And of course, my concern is how's it going to work? with Willie Green's system, right? Because Brandon Ingram went through an adjustment period, if you remember at the start of the year, trying to close out games with his, you know, kind of patented old ISO ways, but it didn't take him all that long, right? So I've got to think that it's not going to take CJ long, but playing him at the one, that's going to help because, you know, look at Devontae. He, not that he initiates the offense too much, but as a one, there's a lot of times where you've got to right? Because by default, if the other team scores, you're generally going to be bringing the ball up. And uh we saw that, but I think with CJ, it's going to work out so much better because, boy, you've got to pick him up like 35 feet from the rim because he's such a much deadlier, right, shooter, whether it's pull-up, catch-and-shoot, you name it. And, but he's he's so much more valuable because as Fish has already mentioned, his mid-range game. I mean, that used to be his go-to. But over the last couple of years, he's kind of now moved up behind the three-point line because, let's face it, that's what all the stat nerds say, right? It's shots more valuable. It's going to pay off in the long run. So he's made himself actually a better three-point shooter, shooter, even though this year he's kind of a little bit down. But again, you know, he had a collapsed lung. CJ, to me, I mean, guys, here's a question for you. How many players in New Orleans history have averaged over 19 points a game? And that's what CJ is averaging through nine years in Portland. How many of you think off the top of your head? Two. Their I'd say three. Two. Uh. Maybe four. I mean, depending West? on
3: how, depending on how you're counting, um Mashburn, Davis, Paul, Fish got okay.
4: it, man. It's four, but you guys are right <laughs> in the same ballpark, man. And I'm sure you can probably guess who they were too, right? Anthony Davis, yeah. Brandon Ingram, Jamal Mashburn, and Baron Davis. Yeah, Zion doesn't qualify yet. Chris Paul averaged 18.7, right? Yeah, Chris.
1: Chris ain't gonna be a. He was almost never... there. Yeah, but Chris. Uh, yeah.
4: Yeah. And Drew Holiday was just below him as well. But yeah, CJ McCullough, man, he's a difference maker. So you've got to be excited. I mean, ESPN ranked him, I want to say 30th at the start of the year. He's always consistently been considered one of the best shooting guards, right? For the past decade. He's probably the biggest name that hasn't made an all-star game yet. Um, and you've got to think too, behind the Splash Brothers, who was, who's been the biggest amazing, you know, floor spreading duo. It's got to be Dame and CJ and CJ. Doesn't get enough of the limelight, like people always say, and and I kind of agree because the numbers, again, as Fish has pointed out, they over forty nine games he's played without Damian, and he's averaging like twenty five and what was it twenty five five and five something along those lines. So I'm excited to see him what he can do at point guard once he adjusts to Willie Green and his teammates. I don't, I'm not going to go too much more in depth on either Nance because first of all, he's not going to barely play it sounds like this year yeah he won't be. at the
1: earliest it's March 11th I think and then the latest would be the end of the month of of March so at most he plays 11 games
4: yeah he's somebody we're going to talk to I think a lot about this summer right looking forward to next year Mm -hmm. but um yeah I've always been a Nance fan but Schnell Schnell is interesting to me because I agree with Fish that Garrett Temple is going to be you know the the guy of choice for Willie Green for one simple reason he can actually kind of stay with guys on the point of attack. Tony Schnell, Schnell can't do that. Why do you keep calling him Schnell? Because <laughs> I took German for like 15,000 years, man. And I want to keep saying SCH. <laughs> oh, I, I was always
2: going on 4th Street to get fried chicken at Schnell's. That's why.
4: I <laughs> that. Yeah, I can't stop myself from doing it. I know it. Kevin Sorry. was hearing it.
1: I know Kevin was hearing it because yeah. I, can't, I, can't, like, I just know Kevin. And I just know it was like Schnell. And so I had to say something.
4: Yeah. Like, yeah, see, this sucks, man. I'm never gonna talk about him again. I'm just gonna throw him his teeth. <laughs> That's all right. You're probably <laughs> Tony. Want to you. <laughs> He's just totally. Yeah. No, but what's crazy is in Atlanta, right? The year before this season in Portland, he had the best season of his career. As Fish mentioned, yeah, over 50% from three. I know Nate McMillan loved using him in key situations. Uh when he just needed a legit three and D guy to make a shot or defend a his bigger career is over almost like over. No, 40. for his career, but I'm just saying last year without a doubt was the best uh season of his career even though he had a couple decent ones in milwaukee right but this year i don't know what happened in portland but if you just look total minutes played i'm not even gonna count it because he barely even got out there on the court
1: yeah portland just seems like a disaster this year it doesn't seem like anybody's getting along up there um and it feel and i think we all agree that the dame cj backcourt it's day ended after they made that run to the Western Conference Finals. that's That was the, the time they should have ended this. Because I think CJ has wanted to move on. And I think that's part of his enthusiasm in coming to New Orleans is, A, he looks at it. He knows who Willie Green is. He would like to play for Willie Green. He didn't enjoy playing for Chauncey Phillips. He wants to come and play for Willie Green. And I think he also says they're going to make the playoffs this year if they add me. Because what they don't have – and again – He'll be listed as point guard, but it's really more important for him to be the lead guard in handling the ball. And what that means to me is you have an opportunity where it doesn't have to go to Brandon when it gets under 10 seconds. You can go to CJ and either he could create for himself or you can run a pick and roll finally in the later stages of the shot clock and feel like you're going to get a good shot. And if you're running that with Jackson Hayes, that makes him better if you're running that with Jonas Jonas is going to get touches that have frustrated him that he hasn't gotten at certain times for this team and so i think it improves his his game because he goes through these long stretches where he doesn't get post touches CJ will find him for those touches off the pick and CJ will also you know create that opportunity because he can move without the basketball as well he's used to working with Dane having the ball and knowing how to move off the ball which is something that the Pelicans always can use is someone who understands spacing without the basketball. So he raises the IQ of this team. He raises the age of this team. He doesn't make it as young. And you know, he can lead without having to be in conflict with Brandon or if, and when Zion returns that you you don't have to worry about him as the guy who's going to take your team, but what he will do is he'll lead and he will be a vocal person, not just a guy who does it in practice. He'll talk during game situations. He'll talk on the floor. He's a guy who, you know, has since he came in from Lehigh has had to prove himself. And so I, I think that's the one deal. That's why I was so much more in favor of him than than De'Aaron Fox, because I don't think De'Aaron Fox could have provided all of those things for a team that needed it. And Willie talked about that last night, is that they needed more pros. And that's something I've been saying for four years, is that this team needed pros. And that's what C.J. McCollum is. He's a pro. And he's a pro that can still play. And then you add on top of that, like you said, Tony Schnell, who... <laughs> you know what Schnell
4: I, means in German, right? It means fast. So, so that's why if, I couldn't you know, stop if he, saying it. <laughs> if, 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 if Even if the minutes go to work. Garrett
1: early... I think he's a guy who can find his way. If he has a nights where he goes out, he gets some open shots and he knocks them down. And it's always good to have a six, seven guy who can defend two positions. I think, you know, so it, it doesn't hurt to add more length to this team. So, um, you know, I don't think there's a bad part of this deal for the Pelicans. Um, and I think if at least we know that two of those guys can be contributors and CJ raises the floor of the team and, what you lost from Josh, I think, it, you cannot replicate with the intangibles, but you have an opportunity for other guys to step in and take those statistical pieces. But nobody in that backcourt, the worst backcourt in the NBA, was going to get right and give you what C.J. McCollum gives you. Kevin?
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think uh, all along for for the last probably 10 podcasts we've done if you asked us what this team needed it was a, a guard upgrade and a guy who could play the four and the five
4: mm-hmm. and
2: at the heart of this deal that's what they got now unfortunately nance is going to miss some time but what he provides is very important and then you know i i think we all were disappointed that josh went out we were probably hoping that it would be Devontae if we had to choose between one of the two because we already talked about josh but what one of the things you worry about when you bring a guy in, um, and it's one of the worries I had with Fox is, will he buy into, you know, you had these guys that that you could build around that were totally bought into Willie Green and what was happening here. And Josh Hart was obviously a huge part of that. And with him gone, if you bring in another guy that maybe isn't that way, becomes a problem. But with CJ, I mean, he's just like a great dude. I mean, if you listen to his podcast, you hear anybody talk about him. Uh I think he's the kind of guy that's gonna provide the same kind of things that Josh Hart provided not in not in the style of play but in the um you know in the mental stuff in in the heart stuff uh so I think that that's great you know it's sad to lose Josh it would be great to have them both but um c j is a guy that brings a lot of that stuff too, and then like you said, you know the idea of of, uh, Willie Green's offense is to not that you don't necessarily need a pure point guard and you have a bunch of guys that move the ball around and initiate the offense Um, and you know nobody really wants to see this team play in isolation but we all know that especially in the playoffs if the Pelicans were to get into that um, into the playoffs that there's going to be times where you need isolation buckets and now you have two guys ingram and cj you know you can add zion in there if you want to talk about him but i've i'm going to wait to talk about him as part of this team until he's actually introduced uh in the starting lineup Um uh, that that they can go out there and not have to make a pass or not rely on a pass to get you a bucket in a in a situation where you need a bucket so that's very important um he can score from all three levels Uh, I think, you know, you guys covered it pretty well. We all thought we needed more professionalism uh, in the locker room. We got rid of some youth and we brought in uh, some vets and Nance and CJ and and Snell as well. Um, And I think they're all three guys that can play Two that I think can play really well. And one that can play a nice little role for you here and there. Um, So that's great. I think once Nance is back, um, you know, even if Zion's not here or even if he's here and you you have Nance and uh, Jackson playing together, you know, Jackson can still play the four defensively and Nance play the five defensively uh, because, you know, Nance can guard a pick and roll. um, And he can do the things that Jackson is inefficient at as a defender, as a big man defender. And then Jackson can play that sort of free safety floater, uh, shot blocker, tipping balls in the, in the passing lanes, using his length that way. Um, that sort of like cheap, good defense, um, thing that, that would, that can really be useful for this team when you have a guy that can, that can defend the bucket like, uh, Nance can do for you. So, um, that's exciting. Um, and I've been a big fan of his for a while as well. I think we all have agreed and all have probably written at least one trade piece where he was a target, um, so yeah, it's a great day. I mean, you you filled the two major things that you needed to fill. You get a guy that I've always really liked, and and CJ McCollum. So I, you know, I've always had a strong affinity for that Portland team. Um, I I felt like you know that was what I thought the Pelican, what I wanted the Pelicans to be. You know, like a small market team that was just in the conversation every year they were in the playoffs every year, and it, when years broke right, they made some noise. you know they I mean think about this too think about that game C, game seven CJ had against Denver uh, that year they went Ooh. to the Western Conference Finals. you know that was an incredible performance and a huge situation. It's one of the best game seven performances, mm-hmm. probably uh, from a shooting guard that we've seen in a very long time, so you add, you're adding a guy. That has that ability and that ability to do that in a major situation. Um, So I think you raised your floor, but you also raised your ceiling, um, especially if Zion is a part of this team going forward, um, you know, because he creates that gravity. um, And now you have uh, multiple guys that can create that gravity and make things easier for Zion, and Zion can make things easier for them. And it's just, uh, you know, It's just a really, I mean, this is, I mean, I'm always hard on Griff, you know that, but this was on paper. Like I think one of his biggest wins, I mean, I think it might even be his biggest win outside of uh, the Willie Green hire because, uh, you know, you would think to get CJ and Nance, you're going to be giving up a lot more than you did. You think that at least be two first round picks, but it's for one first round pick, you get the, those two guys. I mean, think about it. Portland traded two first-round picks for Robert Covington not too long ago. And we're getting C.J. McCollum and uh, Larry Nance for, you know, Josh Hart, who's a very good player, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who was recently just outside of the lottery at first and then a first and a couple of seconds. So that was quite a haul, um, I think. And, uh, you know, I'm very happy. I'll probably see C.J. early tomorrow morning um, on his way to uh, – on his way to shoot around. So I look forward to, to actually meeting him for the first time soon.
1: So fish, oh. before we let you uh, do the, the implications on the, the cap and on the, the, the trade assets going forward, the picks, uh-huh. et cetera. I just want to remind folks real quick about Larry Nance jr. He can protect the rim, but mm-hmm. one of the exceptional things he does as a big is steals. Yes. Like, he, he is a fantastic, he has fantastic hands and he is a very competent corner three point shooter. He is not a great three point shooter overall, but from the corner he's about a 35% three point shooter. So I think that you know those pieces as well when people have talked about well you we need another big who can shoot the you know in space, he's he can, he can do that. He can create plays in transition for you. He can handle the ball on the open court. So if he's healthy he is a multi-dimensional player and not just a defender, and I don't want people to think of that as him just being a guy who can defend. Yes, he's absolutely a defender, but if you look at the, his ratings on both offense and defense for his career, he elevates your offense as well. His offensive mm-hmm. numbers with Cleveland when he was at the beginning of that season last year were phenomenal, phenomenal. He's a good
3: passer. He, like he, 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 He's an extremely high basketball IQ guy just in a general sense. But, a, but he can pass. Guy. He can he can screen. Um, like you said, he can he can knock down you know some corner threes. You no, know, he can do a little bit of it all. So jumping into kind of what the Pelicans have done cap-wise, um, so they have four players going out and three players coming back. So the Pelicans have a roster slot, like a real NBA roster slot that is open. And they didn't use any. Of their mid-level mid-level exception this summer, so they kind of have two routes they can go. One, they can give Jose Alvarado a real contract. Uh, that's the route that I would go. Um, you you wouldn't necessarily need to use much of the mid-level exception, um, but the thing that the mid-level exception using the mid-level exception would allow you to do is you can give Jose Alvarado a contract that extends over three years, mm-hmm. um, which. would be preferable um, because then after the three years, he's a restricted free agent. There would probably be some of those years might be partially or non guaranteed um, typical of guys who are undrafted. Um, The other option they would have is they could use some or all of the, all of the balance of it. And it's a situation where it prorates and it gets complicated, but it's not the full actual amount that it was day one of the season, Um, but they could use that in the buyout market. Now I don't anticipate that that's going to be the route that they go, just because the Pelicans don't get guys that say, "Man, I really I got released by my team. (coughs) Let me go sign with the Pelicans and play a couple playing games." That's probably not what's going to happen. They're probably going to go to the Lakers, or they're going to go to the Clippers, or they're going to go to the Miami Heat, who have two open roster slots, or they're going to go to Milwaukee. They're going to go to a title contender. Um, So I, I think using it on Jose Alvarado, giving him a real contract, maintaining his rights over the next couple of seasons would be the best move for the Pelicans. Um, they're not in the luxury tax this year. They're not in the luxury tax next year. They don't project to be in the luxury tax next year. Um, they're, they're in a situation where next year they wouldn't be able to use the entire MLE to um, sign somebody without going into the luxury tax. But they only have one. Assuming that they give Jose Alvarado a real contract, they would only have one open roster slot. Everybody else that's under contract this year with the Pelicans also under contract next year with the Pelicans. Fourteen guys, if you if you're assuming Alvarado. So McCollum, Ingram, Valanchunas, Graham, Zion, Nance, Hayes, Temple, Kyra, Trey Murphy, Willie Hernandez, Herb Jones. Najee Marshall, and if you sign Jose Alvarado to a real contract, Jose Alvarado, all 14 of those dudes already under contract. Fish, so,
4: Snell, Snell's the only one I don't think is, right? He signed a one-year yeah. deal with Portland.
3: Snell is the only expiring deal. So they would have one open roster slot um, with uh, assuming that they're extending Alvarado, and they would have the full, essentially almost the full MLE to use. Now, they could use the full MLE that would hard cap them if they did it. Um, but they could use the full MLE and stay under the hard cap. I don't think they will because I don't think they're going to have somebody that's Jones in to do that unless it's Josh Hart. And if it's Josh Hart, I would think that they would probably be trading somebody out to do it as a sign and trade um, anyways. So cap wise, the Pelicans are clean for the next two seasons. Now, some of the consternation that I have read up to this point from national writers is, well, when the Pelicans get to the 2023-2024 season, when C.J. McCollum is making 30, almost $36 million, that's also when the Pelicans will have to extend a new contract to Zion Williamson and, hypothetically, um, Jackson, Jackson Hayes as well. And I get that understanding. I do. Here's the thing. How many teams right now that are contenders, let's say the Pelicans, you know, make make the play in and either they make the playoffs or they're competitive and they don't. And the next year, things really lock in and they make the playoffs. And the next summer, summer of 2023, they come in and they're like, man, we really need to build out our team. And CJ McCollum is an expiring contract. They have this massive $36 million expiring contract that they can trade to somebody. Or some superstar or something like that that is trying to force their way out or the fit's not working or Donovan Mitchell and Ruby Gobert just won't stop fighting at this point. And the Pelicans could send C.J. McCollum's expiring contract and a boatload of first round picks to the Utah Jazz for Donovan Mitchell, who for the last two years, all he's heard from Keel Alexander-Walker. In the locker room is how awesome it was in New Orleans when he was playing for Willie Green and not having Quinn Snyder trying to like, I don't know, like eat babies in the locker room or whatever, (coughs) because that man looks like a freaking psychopath. Okay, so all of that said, all of that is just to say, hypothetically, if you're actually concerned about the Pelicans in 2023, 2024, having flexibility issues, that's foolishness. Uh, if if it's a situation where the Pelicans say, we want to keep this together and we're going to go forward and CJ is still going to be on the team, they're probably going to work on some kind of an extension that is on the cheaper side of things.
1: <clears throat> and they're probably
3: winning. Yeah, and they're, they're deco- probably yeah. winning. Like if if it's a situation where they're thinking about, man, we might have to dip into the luxury tax a little bit because we want to keep all this together, then things are already going well. Yes because like, then you're talking period. about if he's at 32
1: mm-hmm. and he wants to stay then yeah things have to be go going awesome. well.
3: Yes. But let like, like the other the other half of this is the fact that the Pelicans haven't impacted their future draft assets really at all. So how they chopped up this first round pick and everything going forward beyond this year's draft, right? The Pelicans are going to have at least one first round pick. And usually there and also a second round pick available in every single draft. In 2023, they'll have their own first or the Lakers first, the better of those two picks. And they'll also have their second round pick unless it's 46 and up. And if it's 46 and up, you don't care because usually those picks are just picks that they've been selling, anyways. Um 2024, they have the better of their pick and Milwaukee's pick and also the Lakers' first-round pick, which is completely unprotected, and Chicago's 2024 second. In 2025, they have their own first-round pick and Milwaukee's first-round pick, completely unprotected, and their own second-round pick. In 2026, they'll have their own pick or Milwaukee's pick, the better of those two picks, and either the lesser of their own and Portland's second-round pick. In 2027, they'll still have two first-round picks, their own and Milwaukee's. In 2028, they haven't traded any of those picks yet. So you look forward and like a lot of these, the, the marquee franchises, I'll say, are in a situation right now at the trade deadline where they're looking around and they're like, we can literally, we cannot physically trade a pick because we are already impacted all the way out. And you look at what the Pelicans have coming in in terms of draft draft assets and how many guys they already have on on the books and under contract if anything the pelicans will have to make trades that send out either players or picks because they're not going to have enough roster spots to take all the players that they could pick and they're going to be in a situation where ideally outside of this year every year they can be like Let's add another, let's add another first round pick. And hopefully that guy can develop and he can be a rotation player. And if he doesn't, you know what, you're just going to take another swing. You're just going to take another swing with the ax next year until you get one. And if you're a team where things are going well and CJ McCollum wants to be here beyond his age 32 season and oh my gosh, Gail Benson is paying the luxury tax and all of that situation that. You know, some national media member says that I should be concerned that Gail ben, Gail Benson, who is a billionaire, might have to pay a little bit more for her shiny new toy because it's doing well. I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not worried about that. Please, Gail, keep on spending the money because the team is
2: good. Of that, speaking <laughs> of that, let me just ask: Do you guys even think like I mean, if the team is like at that situation, do you think like the luxury tax is even like? A question that she even asked. I mean, she's paying. If the a, team is good, she will priority. pay. If, That's what I'm if saying, they're in doing. a legit
1: position to win. Like, if like they're still eight, no. I don't
3: know. But if I, they're mean, like, I just feel like. If, if they're hosting paying. in the first round, she's paying. Because, I mean, the thing is, like, that we talk, like, to go off on a little t- tangent on, like, the Saints, and they talk don't about how. I'm not going to go too far. No, I'm going to go for Area code. All right. So. The Saints essentially make a mockery of the NFL salary cap because they keep on restructuring deals and moving money around. And the NFL salary cap, honestly, to me is much more complicated than the NBA cap because I haven't studied as much. But from what I understand, you know what Gail's doing? She's telling people, I will write bigger checks right now. They're turning money that's way out into the future into signing bonuses right now that they can spread out you know, to fake years or whatever. And you know what Gail Benson says every single time? I'll write the check. Let's be good. And so she does that with the Saints, and the Pelicans are essentially her baby. And if the Pelicans are in a situation where they need to pay the luxury tax, I think they will. I don't think that they have paid the luxury tax yet because it's not necessary, and the people who have been running the team have been saying, if shit actually works out and all this goes, right? We don't want to start the clock for the tax and the repeater okay. tax right. any time earlier. We got
1: it. Okay. All right. You, we got, so, yeah. We're going to get you eventually. We're going to get you to do this in two sentences rather than six. We're going to get you to that point.
3: We love you. I'm verbose, man. This is what I do. I love you. <laughs> but I ain't heard Ali talking like 20 minutes. <laughs>
2: Just needs to talk like a southern lawyer when he's when he's talking. That's what I want.
3: I feel I feel bad for the people who are li- listening to us at like one point seven speed. I'm sure I sound crazy.
1: <laughs> um, we have a couple of questions, and we'll answer these because uh, we got these and we asked folks to submit questions. So I'm gonna go through these really quick. I'm gonna present them to one person. You answer it, and then I'll give one to the next person. So I'm gonna start with I, because like I said, i heard his voice in a long time. I miss him. Um, Ollie, this, one, <laughs> this one comes from Joey Paggart And his thing is CJ, BI, Herb, uh, JV uh, Which player, Jax or Graham, feels as the fifth starter And which would be the best for the team as the sixth man Well,
4: with Jackson Hayes' emergence A uh, week and a half ago It's undoubtedly should be him You're going to need a little bit more defense. You don't want to be playing two smaller guards. That combination really doesn't work in the NBA anymore. Just look at Portland. Look how much they really would always try and stack the deck with defenders around Damon, CJ, and they could never figure that puzzle out. So I don't want to see the Pelicans do the same thing. Willie's usually good with rotations, figuring it out. And like I said, Jackson's kind of really just presented the case because at the four, he's a much different but a much more effective player. And having that length – Because let's face it, Herb can't guard everybody now. People want to talk about how great Herb has been, and he has, right? Don't want to take anything away. But he had a partner out there in crime in slowing down really good players out there, and that was Josh Hart. You can't replace or tell C.J. McCollum or Devontae Graham to take whatever man that would have been Hart's in the past. So, yeah, that's an easy one. Hayes for sure. I would be shocked if it would be Devontae Graham.
1: Kevin, uh this one is from Crescent City Connection, and his is uh, he's worried about the defense. Do you think that b i um will take the challenge to elevate himself defensively uh now that Josh is gone?
2: I think so. I mean, I feel like he has already this season. I mean, I think you see a different b i out there on the defensive end, so I think he wants to win. He's sort of carrying this as his team um and i I think he's probably. Sad that Josh is gone, but sort of rejuvenated at the sense that you're bringing in this near all-star level player um, to make things easier offensively, um, which the offense has really been the struggle this year, uh, which is a weird thing for us to say, obviously. But, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like he's shown already that he's been growing and been way more committed on that end. And I think, you know, with the way things are right now with Jackson's emergence, it'll probably shift B.I. more into – playing against smaller guys uh, and he'll be able to use his length more um, as a defender. Um, he just has to, you know, work on his footwork and and trying to be able to stay in front of faster guys. But um, I think his size will definitely give him an advantage in a lot of his matchups.
1: Uh, Fish, you get this one. Um, do you think the Pelicans either trade or sign uh, for another big since Nance will miss uh, so much time after surgery?
3: Um no, I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, because I, we I think we've forgotten a little bit. Hernan Gomez isn't injured. Um, he just tested positive for COVID. Um, I, I think he's going to be back very soon. And then you still have uh, Jackson Hayes. You still have Jonas Valanciunas. And then um, Herb can give you spot minutes at the four. Bi can give you her spot minutes at the four. And when one of Gabriel, tra- there's training. Tra- tra- um and then and then the other exactly the, the other big thing I think is um coming off the bench, especially if you're in a situation um that Jackson Hayes is continuing to start at the power forward. I think the Pelicans are starting to find something in terms of how Trey Murphy can be used essentially as kind of the old school um stretch four. Um, because he has a lot of length. Um he's pretty switchable. Um and I, I think that might be a good role for him especially in the short term to get him consistent minutes. Cause that's one of the biggest things I want to see between now and the end of the season really is get, get Trey Murphy minutes, get Najee Marshall minutes. And I I don't see how adding even more guys who are rotation players to this team right now um, would make much sense.
1: So, um, Last question, then, for all of us, really quickly. And um, Kevin, I'll give you the last word on this one. Ali, you're the closest to the situation. Um, Do you think there's another move before the deadline for the Pels?
4: No, I do not. I think the fact that they kept both Nance and Tony Snell (laughs) that this signals to me that they're happy with what they've got. There wasn't anything else that they could pursue. And look, they're about what, five or six million short of the luxury tax line. They still have money left over from that Stephen Adams trade exception, right? I wanna say about what, 10 and a half or so went to Larry Nance coming over, but they still have that money to play with. So if, say, they need to be used as a third team um, in any kind of trade to take in some salary, if that player would have any value to New Orleans, I could see it happen, but that would be the only scenario. So therefore, it just seems kind of unlikely. Because when you start looking through players' salaries on who makes what, it's hard to find a name that one would be traded into that the Pelicans would want, right? So I, I just don't see it, no.
1: I don't see another trade partner at this stage, and I don't see a target at this stage. Like you said, the, the, the need they wanted to address, lead guard, uh, wing defender, uh, and depth, that's what they did with this deal. Exactly. The deal with an eye not only for the present but um, as you, we, we talked to this on Louisiana Radio Network, I talked to Ali and Adam on, um, and this is a deal for the future as well. That's why you're able to let us go have surgery, because quite frankly, as you look at the standings in the West, who's going unless the Pelicans fall off in some way and they have improved typically outside of January, which uh, the schedule was just murderers, They have improved every month, and they have started this month very well. The schedule is they get six games at home. They're in the middle of – you know, they've only played the the six-game home stand, and you look at this. No, I don't think they get to 500 by the end of the year, but they're 21-20 and over the last 41 games. So if they play at that level without C.J. McCollum, without Zion Williamson, they beat the Rockets by double digits last night without Josh Hart, without you know all these guys. Then the 10 at the least feels like a luck, let alone potentially the 9 or the 8. And if that's the case, then you've won this deal, there's no reason to make any more deals. You don't and you give yourself the flexibility into this summer as you guys have said to find what other pieces you may or may, you know, may need to move with and you still have sets to do so. So why make another trade at this point?
3: Uh, Fish. I completely agree on that. Um, you look at how the roster kind of breaks down. You got, um, essentially, uh, you have three point guards available. Uh, CJ, Devonte, and um, Jose. I, I'm with, I'm with <laughs> Ollie. I think, I think
1: it's just funny. I'm sorry, CJ Devontae, and Jose.
3: Yeah, but I, I'm with Ollie in the fact that um, I, I think Jose has actually been uh, outplaying um, Devonte lately. And then um, you just you have a glut of wings. You have Bi, you have Herb. Um, Garrett Temple is going to be back in the rotation. I don't want it to happen, but I fully expect it's going to happen. Um, you just added Snell, um, so you got a couple veterans coming off the bench. You also have Najee. You also mm-hmm. have Trey, um, that that you want to get minutes to, um, and then you got. I mean, even without without Nance, once Hernan Gomez comes back, you have Jackson, you have Jonas, you have uh, Hernan Gomez. Like I said, you have Trey Murphy that can that can play some, you know, stretch four minutes for you. Uh, Larry Nance out six weeks, so that would put him back four to six weeks. So he's probably back at sometime in the middle of March. He'll be nice and fresh right there, like the like the real dog days of the season, and that's when teams really start to like if they're tanking they're tanking tanking like it gets just ugly in march um in the pelicans willie green that they, they're gonna be about that grind every single night, you know if if every single night that that's if, what gives me hope is the fact that it's gonna get into like the dog days of the season in March, and Willie Green has his his guys teed up and they're going to get wins that maybe they shouldn't even get um, over teams that are a lot better than them um, because they're punching the clock every night and they're coming out to win. And there's going to be some good teams that see the Pelicans on the schedule and they see the overall record and they're going to think they get the ball can just roll out and they're going to win. And that's not going to happen on a Willie green team.
1: Kevin, you get the last word.
3: Yeah. I mean,
2: would I like to see another trade? I would. Uh, I get what every, everything you guys have said. Um, but in my opinion, uh, CJ McCollum is like the maxed out version of what Devonte Graham could be. And I feel like what we lost in Josh, that gritty, like sort of dirt dog, uh, do all the dirty work guy in the guard rotation. That's going to provide defense is something that we should now be looking for. And if you mm-hmm. could turn Devante into somebody like that, Uh, I would be all on board, Um, but I know like Ali has said that with the people that he's spoken with within the team have said that Devontae is here to stay at at least until they see what he looks like with Zion. I just feel like um, it's nothing – I'm not trying to shit on Devontae. It just feels like we have a player that does what he does a a lot better than he does, and I would like to get back uh, some of what we lost with Hart. So I would try to do something like that.
1: All right, guys, I think we've covered it all. Um, The C.J. McCullough Pelicans basketball begins Thursday uh, when the Pelicans host the Miami Heat, going for my favorite number, fifth win in a row, the one that we have not seen since 2017, 2018. So you'd love to see them come out tomorrow, extend that winning streak to five games, this, again, this stretch of six home games in a row is so important for this team to get above 500 at home to, to beat a team. Um, so we hope. I imagine it's going to be nuts at the Smoothie King Center tomorrow. Ali, you will be there uh, to, to embrace it all. Kevin, you're going to be at the game as well.
2: I might. I have to work. Uh, if I can get out of work a little bit early and take care of the dogs, I'm going to go but it just kind of depends on how my work day goes. I kind of get to decide when I leave, but uh, lately I've been having so much to do. It's been hard to leave early.
1: I think I think it's going to be as close on a weeknight. I think it's going to be uh, as loud as it's been in, in some time. I think there will be mm-hmm. a lot of people out there to welcome CJ, but also ride this wave. And, and you know, I think, it, you know, folks have kind of did. I mean, Stephen A. Smith went on a whole fucking rant about why he thought this was bad for everybody, especially for C.J. McCollum. I think that this is step one, again, of proving uh, to the world. And that's who this team has to prove it to the rest of the way. 30 games left in the season, roughly. They've got to prove it to the rest of the world and to themselves that they're legitimate. I feel like they're coming together. I feel like with or without Zion Williamson, they make the postseason, um, at least to the play-in. And uh, I think you guys feel the same. Yeah, absolutely.
4: All right, All right. So Lamar's going to feel like a playoff atmosphere. I can't wait. Oh, absolutely. It's Miami.
1: You know, a good. Right. They're going to play opponent. hard. Yeah. And they're coming in. The Pelicans are hot. Brandon Ingram is playing well. CJ's got something to prove. It's, it's, it's going to be a great. Game. And the Pelicans are defending. Again, they have been top five defense to start the month. And you can talk about the teams that they play, with, but you have to go out there and do it. And we've seen this team play against bad teams and get run up and down the court. And they have not done that as of late. Only problem they had was that they couldn't score. So now maybe this solves it or at least makes it so that it's not nearly as big an issue and it should. So for Kevin Barrios, David Fisher and Ali Kosel, I am Grub. This has been the bird calls and in the words of our friend Preston Ellis. And we first wish you get well soon, Preston. Um, But in the words of Preston, let's go.
0: Thank you for listening to the bird calls on the armchair, all American network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends. And most importantly, subscribe today. Look around.